This episode is brought to you by Jergens Natural Glow Moisturizer. Self-sabotage as well. It's a really crippling thing. And yeah, if you don't have the people in your corner that are offering you that encouragement and support, those little self-sabotaging thoughts are always going to win. In order to move forward and create change, people are going to have to get uncomfortable because the rest of the people that aren't included are uncomfortable permanently because they're not represented. We're all so unique as human beings and that uniqueness is what makes us all beautiful and being different is what makes us beautiful. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfillment along the way. Hello, beautiful Yeighborhood. I can't believe we've reached our final episode for the year. I actually had one or two more up my sleeve, but I'm trying to practice what I preach and not stick so rigidly to my own deadlines that were arbitrary anyway. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the only one who's starting to fade away a little bit, so I'm saving those episodes instead to come back with fresh and fabulous new energy next year. I always say it, but I need reminding myself that there's no point going so hard that you don't do it properly. So our lovely guest today will be our last for 2020, and I'll re-release a couple of the older episodes in the meantime, so you have something to listen to if you need to catch up on any of those. And boy, does Jennifer Attilamil have a great message to finish us off on wading through uncertainty, rejection, and adversity to embrace all that makes her different and unique and make history in the process. This year, she's gone from having no work for four months and one wondering if she'd ever work again, to becoming Australia's first ever curve model to star in a Victoria's Secret campaign. She is a passionate advocate for inclusion and diversity, encouraged further by her mixed heritage, with her father coming from the French island of Réunion, or Réunion Island, and her mother, an Aussie of Irish and Danish descent. Moving from performing arts to double majors at university and then falling into modelling more recently, Jennifer has such wise words to share on the tangents of finding your yay, blocking out the noise to hear your own intuition and finding where your voice can make its best contribution to this world. I hope you guys enjoy as much as I do. And of course, since we can't travel at the moment, enjoy some of the scenery sounds from beautiful New York City. Lovely Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you on the show and from a different time zone as well, which is always, I mean, I know technology has been around for a really long time now, but it just makes me excited every time. Totally. And I think this, I think the pandemic has almost made us really lean into the technology. I think it's always been there, but now we're we're actually using it for what it was supposed to be for. <laughs> I don't think I'd ever used Zoom before. I was always like, who are these people that do all these online video chats? And yeah. now I'm like, I live here now. 
So the very first question before we kick off is a little icebreaker where we ask everyone, what's the most down-to-earth thing about you? And especially when we know people like yourself through your career and certain very impressive achievements, like becoming a Victoria's Secret model, which is probably the least relatable scenario to most of us, I think it's sometimes hard to humanise who people are when they're just being themselves and, you know, we all have a really normal side. So what's something really relatable or something that you think is normal about you? Uh, I say this all the time and I think people do kind of, you know, put me on this pedestal because I am, you know, you know, quote unquote, like model. And so they think that I'm, you know, this unattainable kind of level of of human, but I am so normal. It's not funny. (laughs) At least I think I am. I'm, I don't know. I think the most down to earth thing about me is that I'm just a massive dork. Like <laughs> I love really lame stuff. I'm a musical theater nerd. I I'm I'm your dorky dad at Christmas time that, you know, I'm just I'm just a weirdo, <laughs> but that's probably <laughs> I love weirdos. I'm such a weirdo. (laughs) And I love that because particularly for modeling and, you know, in the media and fashion industries, things seem extra glossy. Like all of us portray a bit of a glossy surface in our digital identities anyway, just because of the nature of the platform. But particularly in your industry, we do see these beautiful polished campaigns. And I mean, you've just hit an incredible milestone, literally making history as the first Australian curve model to join Victoria. Victoria's Secret, which is, I mean, the whole universe puts Victoria's Secret on a pedestal. So it's no wonder you kind of sit up at a different level in our minds. But I just love reminding everyone that behind every face you see is usually a huge dork who loves lame stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So the first section is your way TA, which pretty much just traces back through all the chapters before the one that we walk into now in your life. And I think it's so easy for us to assume that people woke up in the positions where they are, you know, knowing what they stand for, knowing their direction. And it always looks like a much smoother ride than it ever really is. So I'd like to go back to the beginning, to your childhood and trace back through how you made the decisions and what sliding doors moments and crossroads led you to where you are today. So take us back to young Jennifer in Canberra before Melbourne and what your upbringing was like. Yeah, I think I had a pretty... I guess a pretty normal upbringing in the sense that I went to a good school, like all that sort of thing. But um, I did move around a lot and I guess that kind of took a toll on like friendships and that sort of thing. And I, I was quite all over the place in terms of what I really wanted to do. But I, I guess from a really young age, I actually started out performing. I did ballet and and like jazz dance from I think around four or five and then I joined choir like I was part of the Australian girls choir and did the contest tv commercials all that sort of thing then was desperate to one day end up on Broadway so I feel like New York was actually always in my sights but just for a completely different reason and then I had done like drama and musical theatre music all through school and I'd auditioned for all of these colleges and stuff and I actually got rejected from all of them and they told me that I needed more life experience before they would you know potentially accept me and I saw that as the biggest no Mm -hmm. Um, and I gave up on that chapter literally packed it up in a box and and threw away the key and went to university and and got into politics and and journalism but it's funny because i was actually reflecting on it the other day and this this massive no that i got from 
my musical theatre dreams. I face that every day in the modelling industry. We have so much rejection where we're knocked back from job time after time again. And if I didn't have, I guess, a sense of self and a self, I guess, a confidence in my ability, I would have given up modelling as well. So it's funny that, you know, now I feel like I'm in such a better place to deal with rejection. But it's, I think too, I I also didn't always want to be a model. I think that is also should be kind of out there. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up with parents who wanted me to get a respectable job, something not in the arts at all, something stable with a good income. And I did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, I've got a good income, but it's definitely not stable. And um, the pandemic really taught me that. But yeah, I, I had gone to university. I did a master's degree in international relations and journalism as well. And I think it was, yeah, through my university that I kind of found the passion to advocate for uh, certain things. And I guess just by nature, just being who I am, who I was born to, like my dad being black, I think, you know, that I just am naturally more advocating for equal rights. But then, yeah, being flung into the modeling industry and then working really hard and kind of getting to where I am now and working internationally and seeing the levels of, I guess, or lack of diversity globally, not just in Australia, it's kind of made me really want to speak up more for that just generally. I think that's so interesting in two ways. Firstly, just on a personal level in terms of what you've become passionate about and found a really, really strong voice for, you don't wake up with that voice. I think it does take us quite a few years and experiences to get comfortable enough with where we sit, particularly with ethnicity and background and identity and in a country that is incredibly culturally diverse but maybe a little bit behind in some areas of substantive equality in that cultural diversity but then how that's also kind of applied to your career that it also took you a while to fall into modeling and it did take a few twists and turns first before you sort of returned to the creative industry after having pushed away your first yay and now you know I wonder if you lament that looking back in your childhood you already had all the ingredients about what your joy was performing arts you know this podcast is all about finding your yay and various reasons often make us stifle that even though we have all the ingredients when we're younger what I want this podcast to do is give people permission not to stifle what makes them joyful because of expectations or stability or certainty and it's so interesting the diversions you end up making based on those decisions like a double masters in international relations and journalism is the strangest diversion from performing arts <laughs> nerd and the VCA and NIDA and then Victoria's Secret model. You know, it's just <laughs> life is just so not linear. And I think people forget that. Yeah. And I think too, I like, sorry about the background noise as well. I, I live in New York, so it's going to come in and out. <laughs> <laughs> it adds character. Don't worry. <laughs> but I think, you know, as, as I'm getting older and especially this year, I've had so much time to reflect just on my life and and what I'm doing, like I have been so lost this year, but also so sure of what I'm doing. Like it's been a really weird year, but I think I've had a lot of time to reflect on everything that's made me who I am today. And all of those little diversions have actually shaped me into the woman that I am today. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for all of the things that happened, like all of the rejections, all of the bad decisions, (laughs) all of the, you know, like I failed my first year of university, like all of these little things. I wouldn't be here now if I didn't make those 
life choices. Some of them were good, some of them were bad. And like you said, I think I definitely did have the formula to be this person back when I was a girl, but I'd had to go through those things. Like I look back at my childhood, I was such a performer and I look at modeling now and I look at, you know, the kinds of things we do. And it is very, very similar to performing. It's just kind of got a different label on it. So I definitely had it, I think, all within me to begin with. Yeah. Well, I really want to dive into this topic. I think you just have so much experience and eloquence with your unique cultural heritage. And I'd be particularly interested, given I have a different story, but also quite unique, being adopted cross-culturally. You know, I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. by this topic. But before that, I just want to go back to what you mentioned on, you know, the pathway about rejection and how important it is for us to build a tolerance for that kind of rejection. And also the self-sabotage of taking a no as final and how much that can stifle your dreams and draw you away from something that you really love. And I heard, I think it was on the Shameless podcast, um, the girls up there are absolutely amazing and I loved your interview there, (laughs) that it was actually a psychologist who told you or who swayed you away from performing arts and that, you know, you wouldn't make it and and there were not enough jobs. And it just gives me shivers because I, I truly believe in the value of therapy, but it gives me goosebumps that you know, whatever doubt you're feeling will either echo and grow or diminish and fade depending on who you speak to and who you consult in those crucial moments of your life. And I can't believe, you know, a professional echoed those doubts for you rather than helped you wade through them. So tell us about that experience and what you now believe about self-sabotage, doubt and decision-making. Yeah, I look back on that moment pretty much all the time because it was such a pivotal moment in my, I guess, decision making as to whether or not I would, I guess, probably pursue the performing arts university route after those rejection, like first rejection auditions. But I also find it really strange too, because I also strongly believe in like therapy and and all of that sort of thing. But I stopped going or I didn't, I didn't stop going to therapy, but I was really afraid of therapy for Mm. a really long time because of the advice, advice, I guess, that I got from this therapist back when I was younger. And I, I truly believe that if you surround yourself with people who or just influences or, or little outside voices or, you know, whatever it is that tells you that you can't do it, then that's how you're going to perceive everything, not just the thing that you're working towards, but everything around you will be, I guess, like almost tarnished with a lens of, of, I guess, negativity or self-doubt or something like that. But if you truly, I think too, if you truly want something and you believe deep down in your gut that you can do it, I think there's nothing that can stop you. Obviously, I don't know, like if you're not good, (laughs) you'll eventually come to that conclusion yourself. But I don't think that people around you should be telling you you can't do it. I think that they should be encouraging you to give it a try and being there for you and offering support if it doesn't work out. You know, I don't think they should be saying from the get-go, no, I don't think you should do it. I believe in telling everyone to go for their dreams and if they really want something you know, they will work towards it or they'll find what their little niche is within the thing that they actually wanted and kind Mm. of pivot and, and, and go down a different direction. But yeah, I I, self-sabotage as well is, I do it all the time still. Mm. It's a really crippling thing. And yeah, if you don't have the people in your corner that are offering you that 
encouragement and support, those little self-sabotaging thoughts are always going to win, I think. You know, Mm. you kind of need people there around you supporting you to go for your dreams and chase your dreams so that if you do have a little moment where you're like, I can't do that, no, I'm not good enough, they're there behind you being like, no, of course you can. Like, don't give up. You're so close, you know. Yeah. yeah, that reminds me of that quote, you know, you can't live a positive life in a negative environment. And so, of course, if you're surrounded with people who are, you know, not even necessarily not caring for you, but who are just concerned or risk averse or trying to protect you, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, you need to make those decisions and discoveries for yourself. You need to go out and maybe get a few rejections because they do help you form a thicker skin. And I also love the quote, rejection is simply redirection. But by someone actually counselling you that you're not going to make it and only a small amount of people do make it to the top and you should not try, I mean, that just blows my mind, the the impact that that must have had on your mentality towards that pathway for yourself. Yeah, I think still to this day I actually made a pact with my friend that I'm going to start singing again. (gasps) It's my goal for the end of the year I have to book myself into a singing lesson. Otherwise, I have to make a donation to a charity that I do not support. <laughs> so I'm definitely enrolling myself in a, in a voice lesson. But I've been singing throughout this pandemic and I've realized that there is something within me that's actually holding me back. And I think it is probably, I think if I was to do like some kind of hypnotherapy, like regression into childhood trauma or something like that, (laughs) that little sentence from that therapist is what is holding me back from so much other things, so many other things. Sorry, I can't speak English properly. (laughs) (laughs) Like using my voice. It's taken me a really long time to work through the fear of using my voice, whether it's singing, whether it's being advocating for things, you know, whether it's just standing up for myself in relationships, friendships, all of that sort of thing. There's such a profound impact that something so small as, you know, one sentence that you'll never be able to do anything. That's not really what he said, but it kind of, to to such a young mind, it can really have such a detrimental effect into Mm. my adulthood. And I'm kind of only realizing that this year, but I've worked really hard, I think, to unlearn it. It's so important to always be conscious of just the power that narratives that we tell ourselves can have because as soon as you acknowledge them, then you have the power, as you said, to unlearn them. Whereas if you're not aware that you're perpetuating this belief about yourself or about your pathway, it can control your life for years before you even pick up on it. And so I think that's, yeah, such a valuable reminder to just reflect on maybe the narratives you're telling yourself that are holding yourself back and then what you can do to counteract that. And I think your story also is really powerful in that same area of how you've learned and developed your own narrative about your ethnicity as well and your heritage, which I imagine when you were much younger and particularly in a much less diverse time where the conversations were a lot different when we were children, coming from your, you know, your father's from Réunion or the French Reunion Island and your mum's Aussie of Irish and Danish descent, it's unique. And I've heard you speaking about, you know, being at school where no one really looks like you. And I had a similar experience in a different way, but also of, you know, spending a lot of my earlier years wondering why I look different. And it's not that commonly experienced or commonly spoken about. So talk us through how that impacted your childhood and 
then how you've come to the point now where you are using your voice so strongly and becoming world firsts. And, you know, of course, in this area, there's a bit of an element of tokenism, which I've also heard you speak about before. But I love that you're see, you know, seeing the silver lining of, yes, there is tokenism, but making the most of that also paves the way for that tokenism to eventually fade over time. Yeah, I think with my childhood, I think because we weren't having these kinds of conversations, I, I guess I never really realized the psychological impact that the constant feeling of being different and I guess the trauma of the casual covert racism actually has on your development as you get older. And I think that's something that I really started learning about this year around May with the George Floyd protests and the subsequent re, I guess, ignition of the Black Lives Matter movement in in America that there was so much information kind of coming at me and, and all of this material that I was consuming that I was like, oh, wow, okay, so my childhood and like my school, so much happened to me that I just brushed off. Mm. You know, if I reacted, people would just be like, oh, you're, you're being too much. Like it, it was just a joke. Like all of those kind of little, little things that chip away at you over time and you just end up developing such a thick skin that those small words don't hurt you anymore because you've just had to deal with it your whole life. Obviously, there were things that did, I I still remember to this day, like words and and actions that happened, you know, in primary school and, and in secondary school. But I think for me, my childhood and my experiences of racism, it wasn't so much directed at me. It was more my brother and my dad. I would say I had a bit of like pretty privilege mm. and that people did kind of see me as this exotic beauty, even though I, I, I hate the word exotic, it's fetishization. But I think that kind of allowed me to do a lot more because when you look at both me and my brother, we've come from the exact same family, yet we're so different in terms of what we've been able to achieve. And I put that down to the fact that he just didn't get the opportunities because of being racially profiled and held back in in certain aspects of his life. But that has then allowed me to, I guess, be as vocal as I am in the industry that I'm in now. And I know Australia... I, w- I really want to say Australia is trying and I, and I know within my circles and my friendship groups, you know, we really are and I've seen the fashion industry in Australia really try and embrace more diversity and, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said within Australia and I think, you know, we're starting and, and the tokenism still there but with Australia I feel like it runs so much deeper and, and that comes down to the acknowledgement of the Indigenous culture and mm. the, the people that, you know, it's the oldest civilization in human history. And there's such a dark past in Australia with the, the Indigenous people. And the government still, I think, isn't really recognizing that. And until we can have like this overarching acknowledgement of the pain and the trauma that colonization caused the First Nations people, I think we can't even begin to start talking about other kinds of racism and other kinds of inclusion because that still isn't fixed. So I I want to be a voice and I want to be active in that conversation, but I still think there's so far we need to go. But I definitely think that it does start in what we see. Mm -hmm. And you don't see something, you don't believe it. If you don't see people that look like you in, you know, advertising, in TV shows, 
presenting, you know, the news or giving the press conferences, you know, as the head of law enforcement, then you're not going to think that you can even do these things. And, and I'm not, I'm talking like all ethnicities now. And I think that's why my fight has been so, so vocal because when I was starting out modeling, you know, there was not much diversity in Australia. That's why the majority of us, you know, go overseas. Mm. It's not the job opportunities in Australia as there are in, you know, Europe and, and the US. And and I think the tokenism, like I said earlier, the tokenism is there. But I do believe that tokenism has to happen to begin with in order for the doors to open for more people to be represented. There's always that one person you know, I, I look at on, on a completely different note of just body diversity. You look at someone like Ashley Graham. Mm. She was the only plus size model to do high fashion runways. And now we've just had Jill, Paloma and Alva all on the cover. Well, actually, even Precious, they all walked for Versace. Jill walked for Chanel. You know, it's starting to happen. And it started off with one person and it is now five people. And you know, I'm I'm so hopeful that the way of the future, I feel like you can't go backwards from there. But I just feel like, especially within Australia, it's kind of stagnant. And what I've noticed as well is around the Black Lives Matter protests in May and June, everyone was so vocal and wanting to do a lot. And it's kind of died back down and people have gone back to normal because normal is easy. Normal mm. means that you don't have to get uncomfortable. But in order to move forward and create change, people are going to have to get uncomfortable because the rest of the people that aren't included are uncomfortable permanently because they're not represented. So I think it's just this balance now of, of just hopefully. <laughs> That's such a, an impactful way to put it in terms of discomfort, that we do avoid discomfort broadly in so many areas of our lives because, of course, it doesn't feel good. But I don't think people even necessarily reflect on the fact that the discomfort for others and, and minorities and people of colour, it is a permanent discomfort until everyone else can learn to push through their discomfort to move forward in these conversations and, and not stay stagnant. Before we continue with this instalment of Yay, just got a little hot tip to share as get your legs back out season is upon us. While the pasty glory of my immediate post-ISO skin needed a lot of extra help, now that my skin has a bit of natural colour back, I've been absolutely loving Jergens Natural Glow Moisturiser that has a built-in gradual glow while deeply hydrating your skin at the same time. This way, you can build some colour gently over several uses without any streaks or odour and avoiding any flaky dry skin, especially on those knees and elbows. I moisturise all over my body daily anyway, so building up some bronze while I do so is a dream. The firming range also visibly firms up the skin over seven days, which is always an added bonus. I'll pop the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. And something else I love about you is the way that you've found your voice in these areas has begun with an actual singing voice and a performing arts voice, then taken quite a political, like technically political academic route, but then after graduation and infinitely qualified to go into politics or into some kind of organisation like that, that you came back to a more creative industry but have still found your voice. And I think that's a wonderful 
an inspiring example to others that gives them permission not to take the conventional pathway necessarily to achieve what they want to achieve. Yeah. When you did graduate, with all the pressure to use your degree, you know, there's so much so much pressure on ourselves but also externally to like make the most of our qualifications and use our intellect and like I, I was a lawyer for three years mostly because I thought that was what I should do. But I've now found a probably much more powerful and, and impactful voice because the way I communicate is the way I'm best at communicating. How did you find your way into modeling in that initial decision of I'm not going to go the pathway that I've studied for and that I've invested all this hex in and time and sweat, blood, sweat and tears. Now you are literally making world firsts in history. But before you knew that that would be, you know, before you knew that that's where you'd end up, how did you take the risk on that? How did you build to where you are now in that career? And I know it didn't come without its hurdles in diversity in many forms in sizing and eating disorders and trying to conform and then finding the comfort in who you are. No one gives themselves permission to embrace who they are and it strips so much joy and happiness from our lives. But I love that you've, I think there was a quote that you said, which is joy is resistance and having kind of conformed to get jobs for so long and then gone, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to be me and look what it's done for you. Yeah. So I think, I guess I stumbled upon modeling. There was a part of me that wanted to do it, but it wasn't for the reasons that I am doing it now. When I was younger, I was so obsessed with the allure of of material wealth and and that, Mm. you know, the American dream, (laughs) the Paris Hilton and and like Nicole Richie and the Kim Kardashians. Like, but when they were first starting out, I think Mary-Kate and Olsen were also kind of inspirations, which it says a lot about who I was trying to be. When I was younger, like I was so desperate to fit in to, I guess, to, I was a scholarship kid at a private girls school. So I didn't have the the levels of wealth that my peers grew up with. So I would, I look back and I was like, I was trying to be a white girl and I wasn't. And, you know, I was dyeing my hair blonde. I was on all of these crazy diets. I was fake tanning with my friends. <laughs> I love I it. I think I was wearing blue contacts for a while. Like I wanted to be blonde hair, blue-eyed, toned, tanned bikini babe that was like the pinnacle of Australian beauty. Yeah, I was just so conflicted within my identity, not just as, I guess, a young teenager going through adolescence and body changes and hormones and development and all of that sort of thing but also I guess within my cultural identity then being the size that I was and being so big I wasn't I'm not even I say being so big I wasn't even that big but to me I was because Mm. the ideal of beauty was to be thin and I was maybe like a size 12 when I was in I don't know year eight or nine I had boobs very, very early. I got my period very early. So I had just developed in, and I had the body of, of a young woman as a young girl. And I think that that played a lot on my mind, but what well, it did play a lot on my mind. And I think that is part of the reason there's multiple other reasons. I'm sure I you know, can talk about it for hours, <laughs> you know, eating disorders and all of that sort of thing. But I had been approached after, you know, auditioning for Next top model, was it? Yeah, yeah. And ended up being approached by two agencies. They wanted me to lose more weight and my mum said no. And at the time, mum ruined my life, but (laughs) he actually saved me. And I guess I went down the path of academia and finishing school and going to university and all that sort of thing. And it's funny now because I 
got my modeling contract, my current modeling contract and, you know, went off to, to started in Australia. And at the time I was doing my master's and I really, I was itching to go overseas, but I didn't have enough money to go overseas because moving overseas to anyone that's done it, it costs a lot of money. And I hadn't finished my degree. And my mum said to me, you won't finish it if you put it on pause and and go and come back. And she's right (laughs) (laughs) because I wouldn't have had the time. And I, or it's not that I wouldn't have had the time. I would have had time. I just wouldn't have wanted to do it. So I said to myself, I'm not going to go overseas until I finish my degree. You know, I I believe in timing. I believe everything does happen for a reason. And I was supposed to finish my degree because if I didn't finish it then, I wouldn't have had the same trajectory as I, I as I had to end up where I am now. But like all of that, it was so conflicting. I was extremely, extremely burnt out because I was trying to save to go overseas. I was working two jobs. I was modeling. I was doing a double master's. I was interning at a, a peace and security institute at the university. Like I was trying to do it all. I was so unwell, my hair started falling out and I was like, I can't do this. Like if this is what success means or like the the road to success, if that is what it's going to cost me, like I can't do it. But I did, I ended up finishing everything. I ended up saving all my money and I just went overseas. I took the risk and, and I went overseas and my first, like my first, I think six months in London were, were pretty bad. Like I didn't really work at all. And I was so close to coming home because I had run out of my money. I was, I'd been there four months and I had about a month of wages left, like living expenses left. And I just thought, okay, well, I've tried it and I'm going to have to go home. This sucks. I thought I was going to, like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I really thought I was going to, you know, make it. (laughs) And then I think I've got my, my stories wrong in timelines, but I was in my hotel room at some point and I get this email from my agent in Australia who'd been in New York. And she was like, just had this meeting with your, your now agent at IMG. They really love you. Should I start the paperwork? And I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> and it's New York. Of course, start the paperwork now. And I feel like that's almost like when everything shifted, I started booking like bigger campaigns over in, over in London because she was like, you're signing with IMG now. I'm changing your agency. It's clearly not working for you. We're going to put you with this other agency and then from there it just kind of snowballed and oh here gosh. I am living my best life <laughs> and I don't want to like embellish and say like it's all perfect because this pandemic and just this whole year has been extremely hard for me in multiple ways you know just being away from family losing my job for for four months not knowing <laughs> if I'm ever going to work again <laughs> Um, so there's been a lot of ups and downs this year, especially, so I don't want to paint it that everything's like peachy, but it, it is definitely a very, very lucky life, but I've definitely worked very hard to get where I am today. Oh my gosh, what an incredible story. And just such an important reminder for all of us that if you had given up a day before you got that call for New York, you know, you just... We never know what's going to come around the corner for us. And half the battle is just patience and persistence and putting up with the shit bits because 
there's so often good bits around the corner that you're just not ready for. Like you mentioned, timing is everything. And we want to rush to the end and we want to make all the stuff happen and be successful without doing all the really painful stepping stones to get there. But now with hindsight, looking back, I imagine at the time, all of this was just a total head fuck and a mess and stressful and overwhelming and scary. But now in hindsight, looking back, you're like, it makes so much sense. Every part of that story led to where I am now. And I think if I went back to my younger self, that's what I would say is trust that every part, even the worst parts, and especially the worst parts, are just about, they're just preceding the next big good part. Like that's how it all works out. So uh, that that's just so exciting. I get goosebumps thinking about how easily people would assume that now seeing your name in the papers, making these big, you know, literal historical moments with your career that not that long ago, you didn't know if you'd have a job and you were unemployed for four months. Like that's part of the journey that doesn't get as much airtime. And I think because of that, we think about joy and fulfillment and happiness and even success in a really one dimensional way. Whereas when you have these conversations that are more than 15 seconds long on Instagram, you realize it's such a multidimensional picture and all of us have to sit with uncertainty and discomfort to earn the good bits, you know? I just think you're such an inspiring example of pushing through the bits that aren't working for you and earning the amazing, like, pot of gold at the end. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. I I really appreciate that because, like, I could go into more detail about the shit bits of my life, but I don't want to dwell on them because, yes, they were hard and, yes, they were uncomfortable and they're parts of my life that I kind of don't want to revisit, but they have shaped me into the person that I am today. I think too, you mentioned, you know, patience and in this age of technology and, and Mm. connectedness, we want things straight away. And we, I think a lot of us have forgotten that good things take time and success takes time and success might not necessarily be, you know, the job and the money and the, the house and the this and the that. And I think that's what I learned this year. I was chasing I guess, a version of success that was really unsustainable for me and my body and my health. And I've found success and, you know, to other people as well, my career achievements are very successful as well. And I don't want to take away from that, but the material things for me are less important. And I've actually found so much joy within myself because I've taken the time to stop and really think and do some work on me and sitting around for four months in New York during lockdown, not knowing if I'm going to have to fly back to Australia because I've run out of money (laughs) is really hard. And not being able to see a family, it really puts a lot of things into perspective. And I feel like I'm really grateful to have such strength behind me. And I think it it was the things that happened in my past that allowed me to sit through this year and to come out, hopefully when it gets better, you know, it is getting better. I do believe it is getting better, but to come out of this year, having the the realizations that I'm, I'm having and, and to feel quite proud of everything I've accomplished. You absolutely should. And a quote that you, I can't remember where I heard it, but a quote of yours that I loved is, was around that, that was my next question, was around that idea of success. And this podcast is all about separating success and busyness from fulfillment and joy. And something you said was feeding your soul is the most important thing. And the more you've embraced that, money not being the be all and end all, even though of course it's important, it allows choices and stability that 
remove stress, which then leads to happiness, that changing that focus for you and like readjusting your metrics for yourself has made you happier than you've ever been because you you do kind of move past that instant gratuity of success. And when you do chase really measurable metrics like that, what do you do once you get there? Like there's nothing left if you're not enjoying the process as well. So I, I love You're always that. chasing something. You'll never be fulfilled if you're constantly chasing a level of success because in capitalism, there's always more. So you'll never get to a finite point. You'll always be chasing something. And I feel like there's a lot of hollow people in this void of capitalism that are just chasing, chasing, chasing and don't have other things around them that equate success. Yeah, absolutely. But I do also think... I kind of had that big realization about success not equaling happiness. And then I maybe went too far the other way and stopped celebrating when it was an actual success. I've done that too. Even like, even this year with Victoria's Secret, I'm like, oh no, I can't do that. Like, you know, I can't really celebrate. And I've just said to myself, I'm like, no, you've worked really, really hard. You're allowed to be joyful for all of these things that you've worked so hard towards. This is your entire life in the making. And you finally like got to this point. Yes, you still want to do other things in your career, but it doesn't mean you can't celebrate what you've already got through thus far. So, yeah. <laughs> well, that is what I wanted to do now is just take a minute to appreciate, I mean, what on earth you are actually a Victoria's Secret model. Like, <laughs> how does that even feel? What is your brain even? I mean, I can't even deal with the fact that I'm talking to one, let alone how you must feel to actually be one. So what kind of like weird, surreal excitement has it brought with you? I think the campaign's actually out now. So what did you feel like when you saw the photos? Like, are you just, yeah. (laughs) To be honest, I still can't believe that I've done it. I think (laughs) because because of COVID and because of the fact that a lot of the stores and stuff were closed and, you know, Mm. all of, not that they matter, but all of the kind of like press opportunities and, you know, there might've been like brunches and like little Instagrammy things. I don't know if that was going to happen, but little things that I feel like haven't happened in the same way that they, they might've pre pandemic. I've not really been able to experience it. Like I went for the first time uh, about a month ago into one of the stores in New York and I saw myself up on the big screen and and so people were sending me photos from London and from Sydney and I was like, ah, this is so cool. But I think like I just, if five years ago when I started modelling, you were to tell me that in five years' time you will be a Victoria's Secret model, I would have been like, no way. I just would have been like, no, no, no way. And here I am. And it's it's crazy, but I think the really cool thing is Victoria's Secret has, I feel like they've changed, you know, that that old mm. version of Victoria's Secret that I kind of was aspiring to be is gone and it really embodies the kind of person and the kind of woman and girl that I think we should all be aspiring to be, like the, the diversity and, and the different body shapes, you know, that's what I want to be seeing. So it's it's kind of really cool that, I've done it, but I've done it in the way that I want to be represented. I've actually just been able to be me. I've had my body. I don't have abs. I think I've got a good body, but I've still got like my little belly fat that I could get rid of if I stopped drinking wine, but I'm never going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like it's really cool. I haven't had to change myself 
to get these jobs. These jobs have come to me because I am me. And I think that's like one of the biggest things that I keep saying is that we're all so unique as human beings. And that uniqueness is what makes us all beautiful. And being different is what makes us beautiful. So when I see some of these trends of people wanting to get surgeries, which by, you know, they're allowed, people are allowed to do whatever they want to do with their bodies, but everyone's trying to look the same. Why, mm. why take away from your unique beauty to look like someone else? And I think, you know, the, the fashion industry is kind of, it's veering backwards, embracing natural beauty. And that's exactly what I've always stood for. So Yeah, I think like I because these all of these podcast interviews as well. I've done a series of interviews since the campaign, and I think because they've all been so drawn out, and it hasn't all been like around the same time, like it usually probably would have pre-pandemic. I'm still, I'm almost like basking in the success way longer than I probably would have if if there wasn't the pandemic because I would have just moved on to work and I would have been flying around and being really tired and not really being able to soak it in. But I'm just mm. in it like a few months later and, you know, maybe something else will come out like, you know, in January and I'll still be like, yeah, I did that last year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of it though, that we haven't until this year, I think, given ourselves time to let the wind soak in and we always rush to the next thing and that's such a shame because you don't get to bask in the success and then it's kind of like why did I absolutely kill myself to get there if I wasn't even going to acknowledge it when I got there and honestly like when you reflect on this day and age why it's so exciting is that so much is possible there is so much democratization of business and influence and good ideas and travel and and everything is so accessible where it once wasn't and things are moving in a really exciting direction. But it also means very, very few people can say that they're the first ever to do something. And you have actually made history in being the first to do something. How does that feel historically? Like what does that mean to you to be an Australian who has done something for the first time? (laughs) I feel like because it's been framed like that, it's really cool. Like it's really, I think there have been curved models that have shot for Victoria's Secret before me, but to be the first Australian, especially with Australia, we always, I've grown up being like, this Aussie girl's just done this. And like, I'm that Aussie girl that's done that. Like, it's really cool. And to think that I am, I hate being like, my own home but I guess I am like breaking down barriers for other people that look like me to chase their dreams as well because I didn't come from much I, I definitely had a great childhood and and a brilliant education but at the sacrifice of my parents but everything that I have I've had to work for so nothing for me has been a handout so for me to have worked to this point of career achievement I'm incredibly proud of myself and it's just something that I I feel like anyone can do it if they really want to. And this is the thing, well, not everyone, and this is the thing I think then that comes back to, to racism and, and trying to dismantle the structures that hold certain people back. But, like, if I can do it, hopefully people will see me and think, oh, she did that in that campaign, let's, Let's have more diversity in this. And then that will flow on to, I don't know, hopefully hiring practices and, and education opportunities and and more f- women doing firsts of, of everything. Like, I can't believe I'm actually going to go here, but I'm going to go here. This, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm not comparing myself. I'm not in the same level as her <laughs> by any means, but Kamala Harris. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, she is the first woman to be a vice president. She's not just the first, well, she is the first woman, but she's the first black woman, but the first woman period. And she's also the, the first woman of migrant parents. You know, those kinds of firsts are just groundbreakingly important. And it just gives a new generation the hope that they can achieve these things. If we start seeing women in positions of power and status and women that are breaking the rules, I guess, they're changing the rules. They're, they're saying, no. Nah, I want to change things. You know, we're seeing all of these incredible people do things for the first time that are opening doors for so many other people. And we're going to grow up with a new generation, which is exactly what I want is for a new generation of young people to grow up with the representation that I never had so that they grow up less conflicted within themselves about who they really are and their place in this world. I think you're absolutely doing that. You're such a wonderful role model for so many reasons. And I just love that your success and yay has come from embracing who you really are and stopping conforming and suppressing those parts of yourself that make you sparkle. I think that's so important because we do so easily suppress those things to be same. But uniqueness, I think, is is embracing that is the path to making you different and special. Yeah. So the last section, the middle section is NATA, which is kind of the barriers to joy. But I kind of think we've weaved a lot of them into the actual story. But I'd love to because I've obviously spent so much time on the story because I'm so fascinated by it all. But the last section is your play TA. And that's just the idea that... Because our society is, as we discussed, you know, so focused on instant gratuity and productivity and success and climbing ladders, and particularly when you are a first and you're a role model, there's such a burden to be working all the time and to be, you know, doing your activism work and constantly producing content. And anyway, there's just so much pressure. But I think we're better people when we make time for joy, even a small amount of time, but activities that aren't productive, that are like singing, like you mentioned, like things that make us forget what time it is. How do you play? Do you make time to just let the inner child out of the cage and just enjoy yourself? Yeah. So that's actually really interesting because prior to this year, I did not make any time for play. I Mm. was so exhausted, so burnt out. I actually started this year at a wellness retreat for two weeks doing a juice cleanse and fast. And I came out of it lighter in multiple different ways, but with a with a clarity of just where I wanted to go mm. <laughs> this year. Lols. <laughs> and just like about boundary setting for myself. You know, I wasn't saying no. I was always saying yes. I was people pleasing, not um, turning down jobs because I didn't want to upset my agents or the clients. And at the end of the day, I was only hurting myself and my health and my mental health. And actually, I think it was like the first two weeks of, of lockdown in New York. And I was just like, cool. So uh, <laughs> what are my hobbies? <laughs> and I was like, if I'm going to be stuck in my apartment for who knows how long, what do I actually enjoy doing? And I, you know, everyone started doing these things and being almost like too productive as a a coping mechanism on Instagram. And I was like, okay, um, well, I enjoy cooking. I, and, and so I kind of rediscovered what I enjoy and that is cooking and, and singing and 
just watching really shitty movies and reality TV. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite <laughs> things to do is just shitty rom-coms. <laughs> I literally, like, the guy I'm dating, he's like, um, let me know when you want to watch the Christmas movies because I won't come over. <laughs> <laughs> you could just do that on your own time, babe. I won't be watching that one with you. I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's like, it's my little, I know, it's just my little escape and I, I'm a hopeless romantic and most of these like rom-coms are set in New York. So I'm like, I live here now. And so I'm like, maybe that'll happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of did. Like, I feel like it kind of did in, in a way, in a roundabout way. But, and then like cooking, I think it reminds me of my childhood because my dad's a chef and we always went to the markets and stuff when I was younger and like, I'd watch him cook on a, on a weekend. So for me, I've now made that kind of what I do. I spend a couple of hours on the weekend going to the farmer's market just literally with no time frame and just wandering around um, and then come home and cook. And I love doing that. And it's so meditative for me cooking that it's just, it's like a labor of love. And then I love cooking for my friends and having them over for, for dinner parties, obviously socially distant <laughs> within the guidelines. You know, I'm not having like 20 people over for like fancy dinner parties. It's just four people at a time. But yeah, and then singing, I've really, really leaned into the fact that music brings me joy. I bought a keyboard at yes. the start of the quarantine and I had to learn a song from the sheet, like from sheet music. And oh, I don't know if I will do it, if I'll put it on my Instagram, but a part of me says I should just do it. But you know, that just do it. voice is like, don't, that people will judge you. But I, I know this song now off by heart. I've learned it. I can sing it. And I kind of think I might, as at the end of the year, put it up on Instagram, be like, this is my, my quarantine baby. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's, it's brought me so much joy because I just work on it a little bit of, at a time. And I think too, music has healing properties anyway. Um, letting out my voice, like some, I'm very vocal anyway. So um, being able to, to let go just in my apartment and sing and do whatever and kind of figure out what works and get frustrated and come back to it. It's actually been, yeah, it's been really great. And it's something that I would never have had time for if it wasn't for this pandemic. And it's kind of like the, the good things that have come out of this time. Um, there's definitely been a lot of bad things and I definitely don't want to diminish them because the loss of human life has just been absolutely devastating. But for me, I've managed to find some really joyful things in this time and I'm happy that I found them. <laughs> that's so beautiful. I think it's I think that's the big thing about adversity and tragedy is that it will always be there. It will always be in life. It's part of life and important to acknowledge the gravity of times like these, but it doesn't mean that the whole world has to have no joy all year. There are still silver linings to be found in the small moments in the day-to-day -day. and I think a lot of people have found hobbies that they or even just found a hobby, like forgot that we used to do things for leisure whereas I think we'd fallen into this vicious cycle of work to sleep to sleep to work and like that is just not the point of being on this beautiful earth, you know. Yeah, and then turning your hobby into a hustle. I, think, I know. <laughs> how can I monetize this? Like, <laughs> I'm going to be a singer. <laughs> oh, well, second last question just to finish up. What are three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation? Ooh. I had I had received this question in advance and I had thought about it and I now when I'm asked it, I have no idea. But I guess 
things that come up don't come up in conversation. I think the fact that I do speak French. Um, <gasps> Moisy. Ah, très bien. <laughs> I'm so nervous though when I speak French because I'm a perfectionist and I would <gasps> Me too. rather not speak French with mistakes than like speak it with mistakes. So I just don't really progress. And I think that's like, it's a lot of, it's my whole life. You know, I don't want to ever put out anything if it's not perfect. And oh, I hear you. <laughs> Um, but okay. So what's another thing? I, yeah. Not many people know that I did musical theater. I think that's like a, a thing. It is actually a thing. And then you'll get to, you'll get to see me on set. That's when you'll see me on set. And then you'll be like, I can see that you did musical theater. <laughs> what's your favorite role to play? Uh, so I would love, I would love to be in Wicked. <gasps> it's like one of my favorites. And Oh, I'm just obsessed. The other one is, and this I think is interesting, that I'm actually really shy. <laughs> well, really? Really shy, but I get very anxious in social situations. I have found I'm an extreme extrovert in some scenarios, but now that I've let my inner introvert out all year, the first time I had to go out and see people, I was like, I can't, mm -mm, no, no, mm, we're not doing this. I actually really like that we have to wear masks everywhere so I don't have to like. Engage. Just be like, uh, 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 okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, yeah, I, I think unless I know you and like I've had a relationship, been friendship and stuff, whatever, I'm really, I'm really loud with all my friends but <laughs> don't know you the first time. I, I get quite like standoffish and and shine. It comes across as really rude. I've been told that I'm really rude when you first meet me, but it's because I'm really anxious and I'm, I don't want to make eye contact. And I'm like, hi, hi, <laughs> like, kind of handshake, eye down, kind of just this weird, like, hello. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting for a performing arts kid. Yeah. But I think, I think that's just, the, that's probably just anxiety, not actually being shy. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> well, that's a fun fact. <laughs> Very last question. What's your favorite quote? So it's not really like a quote as much as I actually had to screenshot it because I would not have remembered it off the top of my head. But it's actually a poem by Rupi Kaur. Um, and it is, it is a blessing to be the color of earth. Do you know how often flowers confuse me for home? <gasps> That is so beautiful. I kind of tear up every time I read it because I'm just like, yeah, it is a blessing. It is a blessing to be me, to be this colour, like to just exist. And it's just a really beautiful reminder that, you know, you're perfect as you are. Oh, Jennifer, that is such a beautiful way to finish. Thank you so much for joining and especially for leaving us with all the pearls of wisdom you've already shared. But I love quotes so much. I have like 1,000 million. I have two quote books that I've, that I've produced and I've never heard that one before, which is a big challenge. So there's your second first in the world that you are. <laughs> thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. 
Oh, what an uplifting and joyful way to finish off a crazy year. Congratulations to all of you on making it through. And I hope you can really take some time to clear the slate and prepare for a bigger and brighter 2021. Thank you to each and every one of you for being part of the neighborhood and keeping it thriving this year. It's brought so much joy and encouragement to me and I hope to some of you too. I'll be taking a few weeks off to regroup and rejuvenate, but we'll, as I mentioned, re-release a few zingers during that time, then come back with a bang next year. In the meantime, though, I would love to get your thoughts and suggestions while I'm planning the 2021 schedule. So there's a quick survey or survey online. If you have any words for us, please, please send them my way so that we can gather any thoughts you might have and make sure that we're giving you exactly what you want next year. Link is in the show notes now. Have a fabulous festive season and wonderful new year. I hope you're seizing your yay.